these projects that we're talking about, they're not an island. There, there needs to be that bridge to the mainland because you're going to need to leverage the assets of the core business, whether it be your brand, your your channels, your operations. And that's the that's the benefit that these large corporates have over the startup model of, of the startups out there. They have a lot of existing relationships with customers and IP, and, and they have some of those assets. You're going to need to leverage those along the way. So you need, you need to be thinking about that every step of the way and addressing some of the challenges you're gonna have when you're competing for those scarce resources uh, between the core and the explorer. Not every company is Amazon where they can dedicate resources to going after new opportunities. You're typically, again, as you get closer to launch, you're sharing those resources and that creates the, the need for better resource allocation information. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. I hope you're all having a great week. I've had a guest in the past that many of you have said you really enjoyed his presence on the show, and he's come back again, Noel Sobelman. Noel has just been a really tremendous uh, in his time to share with us uh, his experience and things he's been doing. And he wrote a paper on LinkedIn that we're going to talk about today that was just was really good, Innovation Project Governance Do's and Don'ts. But we'll get into that in a minute. Hi, Noel. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Paul. Uh, great to be back. I think this might be my, my fifth time. I hey. think I'm in the, the Five Timers Club. <laughs> there you go. We're going to get a special badge for you. <laughs> yeah, How's things going for you? Very good. Thank you. Out, getting out and about, still working with customers and helping them uh, with their innovation? Yeah, yeah. Doing a lot of work in uh, still in biotech and, and pharma. A little bit of semiconductor work. About to start a new project in the med device world. So, Nice variety of clients, so that that keeps things interesting for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, no. How did you? Uh, and we'll, for the listeners, we'll make sure we put a link in the show notes to this paper that we're talking about. But you know, how did you come to write that? It's 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 what 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 got you to that point? Yeah, I've written in the past about innovation, uh, thinking about it in a systematic way. Some people call it an, an, an internal ecosystem. And I've learned over the years that you can fix your gated development process or your innovation process or your portfolio management process, and that's going to only take you so far. It, so many of these different elements of the, the system are interdependent. And one of the key, what I found over the years, one of the key things to making it all work is that uh, the governance and decision-making component of, of innovation and product right. development. Right, so you need right. to really get that right, because that's really central to managing a pipeline of projects, whether you're working in the core or in the, the transformative space, which is where we're going to talk today. Yeah, we often thought uh, the governance is so critical. If you don't have that figured out and you don't have it understood and if you don't have it tuned right for you, you could just be on the wrong path and not even know it. Yeah, and, and the the easy thing to say is, oh, leadership doesn't know what they're doing; they're not making the right decisions. But it's 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 often not like I say in the paper; it's not often not leadership's fault. It's it's the process of decision making that if you make some in, improvements, which I've, I've pointed out that I've learned over the years, um, you can really improve the that, and and it really it really helps the whole system operate much more smoothly when you have that worked out. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, kind of step us through some of the some of the paper? I've read it, but 
you know, I found it. I think it'd be good if you kind of just introduce us to it. Yeah, sure. So just for context, in the paper, I'm really focusing in on managing the transformative innovation pipeline, or some people call it Horizon 3, uh, some call it breakthrough innovation or radical innovation. So those projects that are further away from your core business, where there's high uncertainty and um, maybe new technologies and you're look or, or you're developing a new business model. So that's a pretty unique, um, that type of innovation, uh, that category of in innovation requires a different kind of structure for governance and decision-making. And in the paper, I call it a growth board. Other names are, some companies call it a venture board or an innovation board, but mm -hmm. it's the group of leaders who make those decisions on which projects to kick off, which ones to continue to fund, and also which one, you know, how to allocate resources across a portfolio of projects in your innovation portfolio, because uh, it's important that uh, you think of your innovation pipeline as a portfolio. So in the paper, I talk about the structure, uh, who should be on the growth board. I talk about the importance of linking your decisions to your bigger picture portfolio strategy and, and portfolio objectives. We talk about how often you should have these reviews of projects, how to fund projects, what is the criteria you use to make those decisions, because it's very different than the criteria you might use in the, in the core of your business where things are more predictable. Right. Um, talk about resource allocation, which is a big a big topic for me. I find that companies are really challenged there because um, you are managing resources that often are needed in the core and often get allocated to the core business because that's where the money's coming in this quarter, right? So how do you manage that trade-off between your core business and your transformative innovation without trading off one for the other? So that's an important uh, role of the growth board. And then the other thing I point out is, you know, you can argue is also just as important is the behaviors, you know, how, how managing and making these decisions is leaders need to act differently than they might be used to acting based on how they've been successful. So it's more of a mentor mentality mm -hmm. versus the management of the, the project teams that are coming before them and asking for funding. And we can talk about what, more about what that means as we get into the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the first uh, positioning of transformative versus core is important, right? Because it's so easy to say, yeah, I know how to do, I know how to make decisions. I know how to set the ground rules. I know how to uh, fund work. I know how to do all these things, but, but it's what makes it unique for, has to be for transformative uh, type of innovation. So yeah, let's talk about that growth board. Tell us more about that. Who's in it and how do you establish it? Yeah. So just to, to reinforce, we're talking about when you're managing a portfolio and making decisions on individual project decisions when you're in that transformative space. So again, you know, these are the projects that are further out on that continuum um, and you're looking to build new, either new businesses or create new categories completely new to the organization. So you're dealing with high uncertainty. So one thing to think about is who should be on this decision making team in small to medium sized companies. You're, you're, you're talking about the C-suite. You're talking about the CEO or the COO. Um, the heads of marketing, R&D and finance are typically on this growth board. For much larger organizations, sometimes it's a level or two below the CEO, below the C-suite. Some of these large companies, as you know, they have business units that would make the Fortune 500. So they, they might position the, the growth board at the, the business unit level in that case. Either way, the CEO still needs to be personally drive, you know, drive the, that growth agenda. 
there's going to be tension between the core and this exploratory business. Um, and that needs to be confronted at the highest levels of the enterprise. So we don't want to, even though you might set up a, a growth board structure at the right level in your organization, it doesn't let the CEO off the hook and the C-suite off the hook for really confronting those tensions that are inevitably going to happen between your core and exploratory projects. And if you fail to do do so, you're just going to le legitimize some of those conflicts and, and let that unhealthy behavior fester. So that's an important important thing to keep in mind in terms of how you structure the, the growth board. Sure. And and does the concept of, of cross-functional still apply uh, when you think about the growth board? Yeah, absolutely. And it's more heavily weighted towards the business side. So some some organizations I work with you're going to have, like I mentioned, a CEO or a CEO, CEO level person, but also marketing or uh, R&D uh, engineering. Uh, finance is typically represented in some companies. They might put legal on the board in some where the innovation is around process. You might have operations uh, on, on this board. So every, every company is going to be different. The one thing I'd caution against is you, getting too large of a team. You get into problems when you you get beyond six, seven, or eight people and you get a, a room full of people, it's it's just tougher to make decisions. So you, you need to ask yourself, you know, would I be willing to make an innovation project investment decision without this person present? Um, because if, if you get too large of a team, that causes a, a different type of problem with regard to uh, effective communication, effective decision-making. Right, right. Now, some of these people might also be gatekeepers or involved in, in, in core innovation as well, right? So you got to keep them separate, I would think. Exactly. I, and I definitely want us to emphasize that because it's a different type of decision when you're out in high in uncertainty land and you're, you're making these decisions. Um, in, in the core business, as we know, the, the, the governance team, you know, you have predefined gated development milestones with predefined criteria you're using financial metrics like ROI, you know, it's more predictable. Um, so it's a different type of evaluation criteria when you're in the core, it's a different process. You've gotta be careful about using some of those criteria and, and that the approach that you use in the core when you're in this, this space in uh, Horizon 3 or transformative innovation space, where in that case, you're basically, it's about uh, evidence. You know, when you when you're meeting with the team, the criteria moves from an ROI base to what evidence do you have, and how strong is that evidence, and that's going to guide decision making. So your, your role becomes more surfacing. What are the big assumptions that we need to go out and test to validate that there we've got we're onto something that there's a desire that the customer uh, need is proven, or we have the evidence that there is a, a true customer need, and there's a large enough opportunity. We have the evidence that it's feasible to create. We have the the capabilities to, or if we you know we have the capabilities to deliver the proposed solution, and there's a viable business case. So when you're in the early stages of building a new business model or a completely new way of doing things, new category of project. Uh, product, you ask a different set of questions, and it's more about show me the evidence that we're that and, and validate that we're onto something that there's there's something there. Whereas if you used a spreadsheet calculation, you know it, it would be just guesswork because you're in uncertain uncertain territory. So the evaluation criteria are definitely different, and the the tenor of the meeting is different because it's more about surfacing those those big assumptions and then reviewing the plans to go out and and test and get evidence that validates that assumption so you can uh, iterate and, and continue to progress the solution. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I think it's important that um, that board realizes that the likelihood of something uh, not being worth continuing to pursue. I, I never use the word failure, right? Because it's just, it was the wrong thing to be working on. The likelihood of that is much greater in this type of innovation versus a core where you're you're kind of no, coming from a known basis. You expect a, a certain percentage, very high percentage to be things that can actually get to market, to be things that will be real. Here, it's 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 more uh, exploratory for sure. And that's a fair statement? Yeah, and, and it, it's, you still... You know, you're drilling lots of holes, and you you still want to have a portfolio mindset, and that you're gonna you want to say no. You, it's a funnel, not a tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, okay. you you in the early stages, you're gonna the companies that that do this well, they say no to things that aren't as pro- promising, and it's really a how valuable is this opportunity? How strong is this opportunity relative to other things we can invest in? Because we have a limited. A number of funds, and we have a limited number of resources that we can allocate to certain projects. So it's okay to say no to th- some things that aren't looking as promising in order to reallocate those resources to the most promising. As you review projects at certain milestones in in their in their development, you have to continually ask that question: Is it worth continuing to progress this one based on again based on the the, the strength of the evidence that the team is is uncovering? And, and how much they've de-risked uh, the uncertainty in that particular project. Yeah, and you've kind of now gone into that second area of, of what you said, linking your decisions to your portfolio objectives, right? Yeah, the, one of the key roles of the growth board is to establish where to play. So what are those opportunity areas? Some people call them hunting grounds or hunting zones. What are those areas or markets that we want to play in? So establishing those and reinforcing those, you want you want your teams going out and proposing flying cars or things that are way off, yeah. way out of scope for, for yeah. what you're what you are as a business. So so there's some there's some framing of of the the market or the opportunity area. Then the teams you know need to go out and find what are the big problems that customers are experiencing that are unsolved that are important to to the customers in that opportunity area. And from that, you get ideation and you get ideas to bring to, the, to this group. Um, so they're, they're setting those boundary conditions. They're also providing guidance on opportunity size. Are we looking for a 2x or a 10x opportunity? If our growth goals are to, are, are to grow, you know, grow the organization and there's a gap between our projected growth in our core and, and where we need to be as an organization, then you might have more aggressive growth goals. You might want to swing for the fences and have a more balanced portfolio with a, with a few innovation projects that are going to really create that new category that 10X is the growth. So providing those opportunity size guidelines is another role of, 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 of this growth board. And then providing that safe space toward the, these different processes, this more iterative, agile approach to to developing project products is and business models is uh, where it can thrive. Uh, so there's a, a component of giving them the, the safe space to to operate effectively. Yep, yep. So then moving from that, in the, in the next concept you brought up was about cadence. So what have you, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, so there's really two ways to look at how frequent you should have these reviews with your project teams. Because a lot of this is about empowering the teams to go off and and identify where the risks are and then de-risk these projects. So how often do they need to come back to the growth board for a a decision, uh, a decision on continuing to fund the project? And there's really two approaches. One is schedule-based and one is event-based. Schedule-based is simply, you know, 
we're going to meet every month or every 12 weeks or, or some predefined set of time. Another approach is event-based, where we're going to pre-establish some progress milestones. It can be defined by the evidence strength that the team is gathering. It can be some, some there's a term called investment readiness level. So when you reach a certain threshold of evidence or a certain milestone, that's when you trigger a, a review with this growth board and make a decision on whether to per, continue to pursue or cancel or pivot the project. So the event-based approach is, is, is very effective. It kind of level sets the mindset and the kinds of questions they ask based on where you are, because your, your questions of the team are gonna be different if you're in the early stages versus if you if you progressed and you're, you've validated some of the, the big assumptions and you're getting closer to scaling the project. So your questions are gonna differ as, as you move forward. Now, the one word of caution is you, you wanna be careful about holding reviews with the project teams too frequently. You know, some companies might meet, have the project teams meet with this growth board every month, for example. The problem with that is it kind of invites the leadership in to kind of tinker, tinker with the day-to-day -day details and the teams feel obligated, even though they might not have, they might be able to present what has changed since we last presented to you a month ago. The danger is it starts becoming more of a status update. You want to, that's where, that's where the advantage of having these uh, predefined milestones or evidence strength milestones as the trigger for a review. You don't want this meeting to, to, to become a status meeting. It has to be a decision forum where a decision ma is made on funding the project and, and allocating the resources. Yeah. And, and some of the, this exploratory type of innovation, you may not have anything to say. There, there may be no reason to meet. There is no update. And what are you going to say? Yeah, we're still working on it, but we're not done yet. Or you're right. It invites, it invites participation in that you probably don't want. But when we find something, we reach a, you know, a discovery or a milestone or, or something that I, I like that approach very much. Uh, now we have a reason to meet. Let's meet and talk about it. Hand in hand with that is, is, is the funding. You know, you brought up, you know, the, the mm -hmm. funding decision, the, Exploratory projects resemble more of a venture model, and some, some call it metered funding, where you're funding in tranches. Okay, we're going to give you the money to, to execute the next series of experiments, and you, you come back to us with the evidence that you've created, and then we can decide whether or not we're going to give you more funds. So the idea here is you're investing small amounts when uncertainty is very high, and you increasingly in, give the teams larger amounts as the confidence builds, and you get more evidence strength as you progress the project. So it's a way to manage that risk. Uh, the alternative spent, you know, approving a large budget for a team is the wrong way to go in that there's going to be a lot of waste. You're going to spend a lot of money and you're going to move too quickly to building prototypes where uh, before you even validate that there's a market or that there's a, the customer really needs the, or, or there's validate that there's a, they want the solution that you're proposing for their problem. So it's that metered funding that really uh, goes hand in hand with risk reduction and, and building confidence with that evidence. So the funding is very different than a stage gate model where you're giving the team the funds to get to the next phase gate. In this case, you're funding another series of experiments. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That, that model is, um, is new for many companies and, and, and that's the, clearly the responsibility of the growth board for allocating those funds. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the gated model, phase gate model, you know what you're going to do. You're going to do this phase and then, you know, we're going to discuss and then do it's pretty well diagrammed out what you're going to do here. I would think that the next tranche of funding, you don't even know what it's going to be until you get there. Right. It sounds like it's more going to be very dynamic and you're going to say, okay, now 
this is let's fund this type of work and and it's 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 almost not iterative but it's almost as you go along type of approach is that fair exactly and you know so and I, I, I've said a number of times that that funding is based on evidence strength. So, so maybe we should talk a little bit about what I mean by evidence strength. So there are ways to go out and test the desirability or the, the, the viability of a, a new solution or new business model without even building anything. So you want to keep the funding small in the early stages of creating this, this new uncertain opportunity. So you, you run experiments and you have to be pretty creative. So for example, you might create a video that explains the, this, new, this new approach or this new solution. And you, know, you might have a button at the bottom of the video that uh, says, if you're interested in, in learning more, sign up for this, this session. And then you, you measure how many people might click that and actually give you their email address and actually sign up for this, this learning more session. So that's what we call a call to action evidence. It means what we're looking for when we experiment is do versus say. Traditional approaches to market research where you do focus, you might do focus groups, voice of the customer research. Oftentimes the customer, when you ask them if they're, if they're interested in this particular solution, they're gonna tell you what you wanna hear. They're gonna, they're gonna tell you by human nature, we wanna please. And we're gonna, we're gonna say, um, yeah, that, that sounds good, I'd buy that. But then when it comes around to actually asking for the to get them, them to get out and 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 pay you for it then it's a di- it might be a different story so in these experiments you want you want to measure the act activity or the action that the, the the customer takes or the behavior so you want to have that value exchange and that's the evidence that i'm talking about that you need to take back as okay we offered this promotion or this we put this flyer online and we had 35 out of 50 people click the the find out more information button. That might be light evidence, um, and that's a low fidelity experiment, but at least it gives us an indication of the insight that we're onto something. And at, as you progress, you, you have, you start, eventually you start building what many refer to as an MVP or something that represents a portion of the solution, a part of the solution that you wanna test because you have an assumption that you wanna validate. And again, as you progress, you're you're starting to build out the solution more and more and run higher fidelity experiments and get feedback all the way up to the point where you might have a pre-sale or you might have a realistic version of the solution and you're basically testing whether or not they would pay. So you're, you're running some pricing experiments and you're getting hard evidence. So that evidence strength as you progress is an important indicator for the growth board to make those decisions on when to, when to continue. And again, you wanna be careful about spending, moving to the solution too quickly and building too quickly. Companies make that mistake too often. Yeah, I, I totally agree on the evidence side. It is so easy to go out, ask a lot of people, show a lot of things, and, and to your point of human nature, people are good at saying what they like about something. They're not good at saying what they don't like about something when you ask them, right? But their behaviors kind of, get to it when that that that'll draw it out for sure now no all that time you were talking about these criteria the evaluation criteria you never talked about financials you didn't talk about roi or any of the traditional financial metrics so obviously that's not the right solution i didn't talk about it but you could imagine there's something called the reverse income statement approach so the more important thing to discover is what is the assumption the major assumption behind the business case Let's go out and test that. The business case when you're dealing in this high uncertainty area is, is just a guess. 
So you can you can kind of work backwards. So what would need to be true for this to be a viable business? And you can work backwards into what the cost might be or what the sales structure might be or, or how much you would need to pay in, uh, in terms of how much, what would the variables of that business case need to, what are those thresholds that you would need to pass in order for this to, to be a viable business that is scalable and profitable? You can test those assumptions. So that's, that's the key when you're dealing with high uncertainty, you're putting the focus on the assumptions. Now, as you get closer to scale, you can you can start looking and, and after you you launch that first version of the product, you can or the, the solution or the business model, you can you can start to get more evidence and look at progress towards the, the ROI. But asking for an ROI too soon is is not the is not the approach we're talking about here. It's more about the assumption behind that business model and raising the confidence in those elements that are going to drive a good business. Well said, well said. Well, in the intro, you, you talked about probably a pretty hard topic is the resource allocation. Are you ready to kind of go into that one for a little bit? Yeah. So when you're dealing with these exploratory innovation projects and you get, you get closer and closer to launch and scaling up a new solution, you're having to tap deeper into functions like manufacturing, supply chain, procurement, you know, regulatory affairs in a regulated business, customer service. So most companies struggle because those those functions uh, you're, you're you're starting to compete for resources with with the core business. So the, the job of the growth board becomes more complex than simply deciding which, which innovation projects to advance. You have to you have to figure out okay how do we allocate resources. So what I advocate for is having the visibility as to if we're going to be successful, what are the resources needs going to be. Uh, further out. So you can, going into a growth board, you have an idea. If I say yes to approving additional funding for this project, then I know those resources are real. So you, the team needs to come to the growth board meeting, having run the analysis and making sure that the resources they re they're requesting are real and that the resource owners in the different functions have the ability to allocate that. And if they don't, you need to raise that um, and address that head on. So the best approaches and, and using PPM systems, for example, is, is you can anticipate those resource needs across the overall portfolio, which includes the core and this transformative we've been talking about, and look at where the bottlenecks might be and be more proactive about that. And not at, instead of asking the question when you get to the point where you need those resources, if you, if you wait and you, you're reactive like that, that's going to cause churn in your pipeline and it's going to slow you down and things are going to come grinding to a halt. So that's a tough one to a tough one to manage, but it, you have to face it head on and you have to make sure you're asking the resource allocation question at these growth board reviews of projects. Uh, otherwise, you might approve a project and then the team is just being set up to, to fail. They're not going to be successful because they don't get the resources they need to execute according, you know, and run those extra experiments they need to run. Yeah, I think when you say it's a complex decision that's being made there, I, I think you're totally right because business disruption is also happening, right? So you try to give it, you got to give advance notice. If it's manufacturing, it's going to have to be involved. They have to know, okay, next year or, or, or six months from now, we're going to have to commit some resources. And then what happens is we get on our daily lives and Corona hits or some something hits. And then it's like, ah, oh, I can't give you those resources. So it is, it is complex, isn't it? Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, leadership's role is to articulate the strategic ambition of the organization and why it's important to go after these more transformative or exploratory opportunities, making sure that as that strategy trickles down to the different 
resource owners, they understand that we it's not an either or, it's a, it's an and, and we have to do both. Uh, again, easier said than done, because, you know, in most cases, the core, you know, day-to-day business is going to win out every time. So that's the tension I referred to earlier. That's going to create tension, and you need to confront that at the highest levels of the organization, because... These projects that we're talking about, they're not an island. There needs to be that bridge to the mainland because you're going to need to leverage the assets of the core business, whether it be your brand, your, your channels, your operations. And that's the, that's the benefit that these large corporates have over the startup model of, of the startups out there. They have a lot of existing relationships with customers and IP, and, and they have some of those assets. You're going to need to leverage those along the way. So you need, you need to be thinking about that every step of the way and addressing some of the challenges you're going to have when you're competing for those scarce resources uh, between the core and the explorer. Not every company is Amazon where they can dedicate resources to going after new opportunities. You're typically, again, as you get closer to launch, you're sharing those resources, and that creates the, the need for better resource allocation information. Did we miss anything? Did we, did we get all of it, or is there one more part that uh, did I miss something when I was... The other part I think is worth mentioning as we wrap up here is how difficult this is for leaders. So most leaders, you know, they've grown up, you know, they got to where they are by successfully operating businesses at scale. So we're asking those leaders who are on these growth boards to change their decision-making behaviors. You know, they're, they're used to kind of holding teams accountable to schedules and the project financials like we talked about and executing to detailed implementation plans on a predictable, a, a relatively predictable pathway for those core products. Now we're asking these leaders, um, you know, wait a second, we're, you know, we're, we're still in learning mode. We're still trying to figure out what are the assumptions behind this, this potential opportunity. So it, it, it really requires a change in that mentality. Um, and the role is not to judge or state your opinions as a leader, but more to help surface those assumptions, to ask the right questions at the right time, and to be open to learning and, and let, letting that evidence guide your decisions as a, as a leader. And one, one of the tips I, I, I use is um, when we're kicking off a growth board at an organization, we, we get them together and we establish some ground rules. How are we going to handle certain inevitable situations that are going to come up? Let's hold each other accountable to some ground rules. So, for example, if there's insufficient information or insufficient evidence that the team presents, how are we going to handle that? Or if we're unable to reach a, a decision, we're kind of deadlocked. How are we going to resolve that? One thing that often happens is a growth board member will change their mind after the meeting, and that'll that'll derail projects, right? So how do we handle these situations that, t- that typically come up? So getting agreement, just some simple ground rules on how we're going to treat these different situations really is important because you're sending a message to the teams. And if and if the, the growth board isn't the ultimate example of the behavior change, then you're, you're going to have a tough time making these changes organization-wide and changing the culture. Yeah, and so I, I like the idea of, of the what-if exercises around those ground rules, right? What if this happens? What if that happens? Uh, and get that out of the way early. That way, when it happens, because it invariably will, uh, you're ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think with that, we've probably gone through the whole uh, list, haven't we? Yeah, I, th- I think we, we I t- hopefully we've given people an, a, a good idea of some of the, the basics and some of the practical tips for setting up and, and running an effective growth board. And um, they can certainly read the full paper and encourage everybody to reach out if, if they uh, have questions or want to want to bounce ideas off of me. I'd love, Definitely. I'd love, to, love yeah. to talk. So what's the best way for people to uh, to reach out to you, Noel? 
LinkedIn's easy enough. Um, just finding me on LinkedIn and shoot me a message or my my business email is uh, first initial last name. So N Sobelman, X-L-N-G-A-C-C-E-L-M-G.com. I'm teaming up with uh, some former colleagues of mine and the firm's uh, Excel management group. So I'm excited about that opportunity. I'll continue to, to work with uh, Change Logic, doing some, they've asked me to write a chapter for the, their next book. So, but I'm, uh, Excel Management Group is my home now and uh, be happy to hear from anybody. Yeah, well, you're active on many fronts. So Noel, I wish you best of luck with, uh, with those uh, new opportunities that are gonna continue to come your way. Thanks, Paul, enjoyed it. Yeah, really glad you joined us. And and we'll talk again, Noel, I'm sure. Uh, we'll get you okay. up to number six or you're in the next club. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. And to all our listeners, thank you. Hope you enjoyed that. Please do reach out to Noel and, and engage with him on this. Uh, he is very active on LinkedIn. That's how I found it to begin with. And uh, uh, Noel is, is, is just a great guy to talk to. So I think you probably sense that. Other than that, I wish you all a great week ahead. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>